I remember a couple of years ago, I was at Fort Hood, Texas, and was preparing to deploy with my unit to the Middle East, and it was a very emotional time because I had just kissed my family goodbye, and I was going to be gone for about 11 months before I would see them again, and it just hit me how so many emotions you can feel at one time. I was excited for the deployment we were going to go on and that I was going to get to go with people I'd spent years building relationships with. And then I was also incredibly sad because I was missing my family and it was Christmas time and I was gone from them. And so in the middle of all of these emotions kind of mixed together, I get notified, um, by my command to go to a building and I walk in this office and there's a lady there who um, says hey and then she hands me a set of keys and I guess I must have looked um, confused because she said well these are the keys to the chapel here at this area and um, you're the chaplain here so you're in charge of all the Bible studies and church services while you're here because we were going to be there for two weeks before we flew out and I remember just thinking how in the world, how in the world am I going to do all of this during the Christmas season? How am I going to bring Christmas to all of these soldiers? Because our unit had about 200 soldiers and there were tons of other units there. So there were thousands of soldiers that could possibly be coming to these things. And I was trying to figure out how in the world I was going to bring Christmas to these soldiers when I didn't feel like Christmas. And so in the process, you know, that was what kind of led me to on this journey to go searching for Christmas. And that's what we're going to talk about today as we start off the holiday season, because so many times in life, just like I experienced, we go through the Christmas season and we don't feel like it's the Christmas season, right? There's distance from family and sicknesses that can keep us from traveling and the middle of this COVID pandemic has really changed a lot of things for people. Is it is it safe for me to travel? I don't want to cause problems for other people. You know, are my flights going to make it? Do I have the finances to do it? Because the job market has had issues as well during this time. And so all of these things can add up to make the Christmas season not feel like it usually does. And so if you're feeling like that, I want to invite you to go on this journey with me as we go searching for Christmas. And we're going to figure out how we can find the spirit of Christmas when we don't feel the emotion of Christmas. And so if you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to turn to Luke chapter 2, because this is where we're going to find the answers to this journey we're on together. And so to set the stage, because we do always want to read the Bible in context, as we're looking Looking at the Gospel of Luke, Luke was a physician who was hired by a guy named Theophilus to write an account on the life of Jesus. And Luke did such a good job that Theophilus would also pay him to write another book called the Acts of the Apostles, or we just call it the Book of Acts usually. And Dr. Luke wrote both of these books to show the history first of, of the life of Jesus, but then the history of the early church during his lifetime, and at least that he wrote about. And so in Luke, we see the life of Jesus and the beginning, of course, of Luke tells us the beginning of the life of Jesus. And so we end up meeting some very important people 
in the scriptures during these first few chapters. And the first person we need to be aware of is Mary, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And Mary is in a bit of a tight spot because even though she's a godly young woman who, you know, is, is devout, that God gives her almost kind of like two things at once. He gives her the knowledge that the angel Gabriel comes and tells her, you're going to have a child and that child's going to be the son of God. He's going to be the Messiah. The Holy Spirit will come on you and you will supernaturally conceive a child. But here's the problem. Mary is not married. And so for an unmarried Jewish woman in the first century to be pregnant when she's not married, it means she committed adultery. Now, we know that it's God doing it, but in society, who's going to believe that? And so Mary is forced to face this problem of, baby, she's going to die. Maybe she's going to be stoned to death. That's what the law of Moses said for people to do. But she says this amazing thing to the angel. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen just as you said. I love that. That shows us the character of Mary. And now, also in Middle Eastern culture, especially during this time, when a woman got engaged to a man, it was a very long process because there was a lot of money and effort and time and energy that had to be put into the wedding and the wedding party that could last days, maybe even weeks, depending on how wealthy the family was. And so, you know, as Mary and Joseph are preparing for this wedding, in the culture, the, the fiancé, the, the bride, it would move in with the family of the groom. And they would all live together in one house until the wedding where the bride and groom would move out and start their own family in their own home. But Mary would have been living in Joseph's home. There would have been a bridal suite for her separate from Joseph's room. But he's still living with her in the same home with his family. And so Joseph also meets the angel Gabriel in a dream and gets told to trust Mary to believe her and that the child she's going to have is the Son of God. Now what this shows, not only does it shows us since we have the inside knowledge from the scriptures about them, and maybe we're used to the Christmas story so much that we've forgotten exactly socially what this would have brought on Mary and Joseph. That Mary is risking her own life to be obedient to God, and Joseph is risking his reputation to stay with Mary even though the child's not his because people are going to believe that's his son. People are going to believe that they got together physically before they were married and they would have been incredibly judged and incredibly criticized and incredibly looked, I mean, looked down upon. This would be the scandal of their little community because remember, they're from Nazareth in Galilee, this small little no-name town in the middle of Israel. And so... Joseph and Mary, in their obedience, take on so much shame and so much struggle as they start their new life together. And this is where the Christmas story begins. As much as we love the nativity, as much as we love the star in the sky and the shepherds and the wise men, after they go home and the first Christmas night is over, life has to begin for Mary and Joseph. How hard would it have been for him to be a carpenter and have people judge him? How hard would it be for Mary to go draw water from the well and have people always remember her as the woman who, you know, didn't wait till marriage and ended up, Mary and Joseph ended up, you know, starting a family outside of the parameters of the law of Moses. They would have been incredibly scandalized. And this was their life. And so as they start out in Luke chapter 2, we see 
as they start their life together, in the middle of all this shame and criticism, they are still godly people. And they want to be obedient to the law of Moses. And they head to Jerusalem, which would have meant multiple days, if not multiple weeks, of leaving their business and leaving their home to travel to offer the sacrifice required for the firstborn son. And this is where we pick up in Luke chapter 2. And it says this, starting in verse 21. Eight days later, when the baby was circumcised, he was named Jesus, the name given him by the angel even before he was conceived. Then it was time for their purification offering, as required by the law of Moses after the birth of a child. So his parents took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. The law of the Lord says if a woman's first child is a boy, he must be dedicated to the Lord. So they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord, either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now this gives us even further insight into the life of Mary and Joseph. You see, if you actually went back to Deuteronomy and looked at what the law says about the offering of the firstborn son, the sacrifice is supposed to be a spotless lamb. But if you couldn't afford the spotless lamb, then you could offer two turtle doves or pigeons in in exchange. because. That was what was allowed for people that didn't have the money and the ability to offer the lamb because lambs were expensive. So Mary and Joseph, just starting out, don't even have a lamb to offer on behalf of their son. So as they travel to Jerusalem and they go to the temple, and the temple complex was huge. Herod would spend over four decades building it. It was massive, and there would have been thousands of people there coming to offer their sacrifices. And in the middle of all these thousands of people, Mary and Joseph offer a pretty meaningless sacrifice on the grand scheme of things, two small birds. After they would have been sacrificed and cleaned and the priest took their cut, they probably only would have had a few bites of food. If you've ever, you know, seen birds that are this size, turtle doves or pigeons, they're not very large animals to start with. And so Mary and Joseph are sitting here having their celebratory meal in the middle of their poverty, in the middle of their shame. And here comes this guy named Simeon. And here's what it says in verse 25. At that time, there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was a righteous and devout, or he was righteous and devout, and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. If you and I are searching for Christmas, where can we find it? First, we find as the story of Jesus, Mary Joseph, and this guy named Simeon. Man, when we're looking for Christmas, we find Christmas in the hope of God's promise. You see, normally when we think about hope and Christmas, it's maybe we're hoping for a present. Maybe we're hoping for a gift. Maybe we're hoping for a holiday or maybe even a Christmas bonus. But hope in the scriptures do not mean, oh, maybe, hopefully, I'll get this. It refers to confidence. It comes from the Greek word elpsis, which means assurance. And so as we look at the hope of God's promise, it's not just, oh, I hope, God, I hope you show up. It's the confidence that God is going to keep his word. So Mary and Joseph and Simeon are here on this first Christmas having confident assurance that God will keep his word. And Simeon has a very neat story depending on how much of church history you believe. But the church history tells us that Simeon was a retired priest who spent his life serving in the temple. 
And church legend tells us that he was one of the original writers and transcribers of the Septuagint when they translated what we call the Old Testament into Greek. And so this would have made, if the legend is true, and we don't know for sure, but this means that Simeon could have been over 200 years old. I mean, crazier things have happened with God, right? And so here he shows up. He spent his whole life waiting for God to honor his promise. And whether he's just a traditional aged old man or whether he's over 200 years old, all three of them are connected together on this first Christmas here in the temple when Mary and Joseph are being obedient to God, all three of them putting trust and God will keep his promise. Now, I don't know about you, but maybe believing that God will keep his promise has been a struggle for you. Maybe trusting that God would be faithful, that God will work all things together for good, that God you know, is a good father that wants to give good gifts to his children. Maybe that doesn't feel like that's happening in your life. And maybe this Christmas season is just an echo of that feeling. I want to encourage you that just as Mary, Joseph, and Simeon were able to find the spirit of Christmas in the hope of God's promise, you and I can too, because we can be confident and have assurance that God is faithful. But they don't stop there. We go on to see in verse 27 that that day the Spirit led him, talking about Simeon, to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required, Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. What an amazing thing to have happen. Mary and Joseph, all by themselves, have taken this pilgrimage to go to Jerusalem in the middle of these crowd of thousands of people offering their teeny tiny sacrifice, sharing a few bites of a meal together to celebrate the birth of their child together. And here comes this old man, probably you know, limping up to them, asking to hold their baby. And as they probably awkwardly share their true child, if you've ever had a newborn, it's not really comfortable to let some stranger hold your child. But in the middle of all this, Simeon praises God and reminds them that this baby is not just a normal human baby. This is the Son of God. He is the salvation of the world. And he says he is a light to reveal God to the nations and the glory of Israel. You see, not only do we find Christmas in the hope, the confidence of God's promise, but Mary, Joseph, and Simeon found the Christmas spirit in the light of God's glory. That they saw the baby, and Mary and Joseph would have been reminded here by Simeon that this was a promised child, that this child had prophecy spoken over him, that this child would be the one who would set captives free and redeem the people and ultimately impact the entire world. And so just as Mary and Joseph and Simeon were able to find Christmas in the light of God's glory, we can do the same. You see, so many times in Christmas we find the spirit of Christmas by hanging lights or going to see, you know, Christmas trees or uh, parades or people that do all kinds of crazy things in their yards and we say, wow, it's Christmas, right? Maybe you even do that in your own yard, right? But this season, I want to encourage you, don't look to man-made lights to find the spirit of Christmas. I want to encourage you to find Christmas in the light of God's glory through the person of Jesus. And then I love this, that this section closes 
by saying this in verse 33, that Jesus' parents were amazed at what was being said about him. They were amazed. Now, when was the last time you were amazed about something? Think about that. When was the last time you were just absolutely overwhelmed by the amazingness of something? I don't even think amazingness is a word, but the amazement of something happening in your life, especially in amazement about what God has done for you. And Mary and Joseph were amazed that this old man, this old priest, possibly centuries old, comes and reminds them out of nowhere, unprompted. I mean, there's no way people knew outside of what they had been told and what the wise men from Persia and what the shepherds would have told them. Only they knew who their child really was. But this old man comes up out of nowhere and reminds them, hey, this is no ordinary child. And so Mary and Joseph, in the middle of their poverty, in the middle of their shame, in the middle of the stigma of criticism that people had thrown on them in this first Christmas, were amazed about what was being said about their son because they were reminded that he was not just an ordinary human boy, but he was the son of God, 100% God, 100% man. So not only do we find the Christmas spirit in the hope, the assurance of God's promise, and in the light of God's glory, but number three, we find Christmas in the joy of God's presence. You see, it's easy to look at the pages of Scripture and be jealous of some of those people. I don't know how many times I've looked at Moses and said, God, I wish you spoke to me the way you did to Moses, face to face. God, I wish I had the courage to fight giants like David or to trust and have confidence in you to face the den of lions like Daniel. But you know, if you were to get those heroes of the Bible together, they would be jealous of you and me because we live every day in the presence of God because when we put total trust in Jesus, His Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And then every day we get to spend with God. We don't have to go to a temple like Mary, Joseph, and Simeon did because we become God's temple. And so we can find the spirit of Christmas in the joy of God's presence. Now notice I said joy because you may be sitting there thinking, I don't feel joyful. You see, we have this struggle in our American culture of confusing the emotion of happiness with the choice of joy. You see, happiness is an emotion. Emotions come and go. I may wake up this morning and find, uh, you know, $100 tucked in my jacket. And that's wonderful, right? I'm, I'm happy that I found this extra money and I've got all these extra things I might buy with it. Maybe I can go out to a nice dinner. Maybe I could buy a new outfit. Maybe I could, you know, take a small trip. What am I going to do with this $100? And then on my way to work, one of my tires could blow and I'd have to spend that $100, maybe even more, <laughs> to buy a new tire. You see, then that happiness would go away and now I've got frustration and maybe even anger, maybe even sadness, right? Emotions can change really quickly. But joy is not an emotion. Joy is a choice. Joy is the choice that we make to delight in God and be thankful for what He's given us and all the great things He's done for us, even when we don't feel like it. And so you and I, in this Christmas spirit, as we go searching for Christmas, you and I in this season, we can sit down and say, okay, I don't feel like the the hope of, the, uh, of a present is going to work then 
I've got to choose instead to find Christmas in the hope of God's promises, the confident assurance that God will be faithful to keep his promises to you and me. Uh, Maybe I'm not feeling the Christmas spirit, even when I hang lights on my Christmas tree or see them on my neighbor's house in in my neighborhood. But I'm going to remember that I can find Christmas and the spirit of Christmas in the light of God's glory in my life. And maybe when I can't find Christmas and joy, right, because of my life circumstances, I don't have the feeling, right, of happiness, I can choose to find joy in God's presence and be thankful and grateful for who He is and what He has done. You see, here's the important thing. We don't find our happiness and our joy true happiness right and joy is not found in a present wrapped under a tree it's found through the person of Jesus who was the one who brought God's presence in our lives you see one of the names for God is Emmanuel Emmanuel maybe you've heard that Christmas song before right oh come oh come Emmanuel and ransom captive Israel right Emmanuel means God with us And we sing those songs and we celebrate God by calling him Emmanuel because he's not God in heaven. He's not God, just God on his throne, right? He is in heaven, but he's not just there. He's also God with us. And that comes from this familiar passage from Isaiah in the book of Isaiah chapter 7 that says this in verse 14. All right, then the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So you see Mary having a child when she had not physically been with a man yet was miraculous. But that is just a sign. That's not the thing that we're supposed to pay attention to. It's supposed to point us to what we're supposed to pay attention to. It's a sign that points us to God because of the child that she had is Emmanuel. And so I'm not sure where you are today as you listen to the sound of my voice and you say, James, I'm struggling to get in the Christmas spirit. It doesn't feel like Christmas in my life right now. I want to remind you, and this is our big truth for the day, that God's greatest present is the gift of his presence. God's greatest presence is the gift of his presence. You see, we don't find that the gift that makes us have joy in our lives and fulfillment is not going to be wrapped in a bow and and wrapping paper under a tree. It's found in the baby that was wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. That the God of the universe loved you and I so much that he gave up the glory of heaven to become a baby subject to the care of of his human creation. The God who created was allowing himself to be limited, to be taken care of as a baby by the creation. And as Mary and Joseph raised Jesus, he would grow in to be the Messiah, and he would be the one that made a way for you and I to have a restored relationship with God. And so in your life today, Even when you don't feel it, I want to remind you that God's greatest present is the gift of his presence. So how do we use that? That's that's easy to say, right? You say, James, those are nice words. That doesn't really flip a switch and make me feel better. Well, I want to give you three, three tasks, okay? Three tips, maybe, that will help in this process. The first thing I want to encourage you to do is bloom where you're planted. Bloom where you're planted. 
Wherever you are today, whatever your circumstance looks like, whatever your life situation is, even if you can't change it, you're stuck at home, you have to work over the holidays, because of COVID you can't travel, because of your finances you're not able to do all the things you want to do, fill in the blank, right? But what you can choose to do is say, God, where I am, use me. Where I am, help me to follow you. Where I am, help me find the joy of the season. And I'm just going to bloom where I'm planted. I'm going to love you and I'm going to love people where I am with what I have. And when you do that, you'll be amazed how God will meet you in the middle and help carry you the rest of the way. Rather than looking at our past and saying, man, things used to be better, or looking to the future and wondering if it's going to get better, say, God, where I am right now, I'm yours. All of me. And then number two, not don't just bloom where you're planted. Be thankful for what God has done. Even if you have a hard time being thankful for what you have right now, you can be thankful for what God's done in the past and His faithfulness. Because God's faithfulness in the past gives us the assurance, the confidence that He'll be faithful in the future. And you and I can be thankful. I say this to my, my children all the time, that a thankful heart is a happy heart. A happy heart comes from having a thankful heart. That when we stop and we pause and we say, God, thank you for the food in my belly. Thank you for the clothes on my back. Thank you for the roof over my head. Thank you for the job I have. Thankful for the relationships I have. And I keep going down the list. Then, man, my heart starts to change and my attitude starts to change. And all of a sudden, I start finding the joy that I had a hard time with before. But don't just stop there. Not only do we need to bloom where we're planted and be thankful for what God has done, but then I want us to prepare. I want to encourage you to prepare for what God is going to do. You see, maybe in this Christmas season, you can't do everything you want to do. Maybe you can't do all the things that God has put on your heart, but I know that God is preparing you and me for greater things as we continue to walk with Him. God doesn't leave us where we are. He grows us. He matures us. He develops us. And so as you're looking at this Christmas season, if you're struggling, I want to remind you that God's not done. You don't have to stay where you are, that this is not forever. And if you're struggling to find the Christmas spirit, I want to encourage you to look back on the pages of Scripture and know you're in good company. I can only imagine how Mary and Joseph felt that first Christmas as they went into the temple and they offered their small sacrifice in the middle of their poverty, in the middle of their shame, in the middle of their judgment, in the middle of their criticism, in the middle of their struggles. And God used an old man named Simeon to remind them that God is faithful, to remind them that he keeps his promises, to remind them that he is still at work. And so wherever you are today, I hope that this reminder that God's greatest present is the gift of His presence, that you and I get to live daily in the presence of God through prayer, through reading His Word, through the gift of His Holy Spirit indwelling us. And so as we sing the Christmas songs and we think about that holy night 2,000 years ago and we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel, we don't have to sing about a baby coming to a manger anymore. We can sing about the God who comes to be with us. Emmanuel means God with us and He can be with us where we are right now. God's greatest present is the gift of his presence. Let's pray together. King Jesus, thank you so much for the gift of your presence. That 2,000 years ago, you put on flesh. You lived among humanity. You came as a baby in the manger. But help us to remember that the baby in the manger was really the Christ for the cross.
that you lived a perfect life, died a sacrificial death, and made a way for us to be reunited with you and to be restored to a right relationship with you, that we would be forgiven of our sins and that we would be able to know you in a real and personal way. So Lord, help us not to find the Christmas spirit in hope for presents or lights on trees or in joyful songs, but to remind ourselves that we really find it by having the hope of your promises, by basking in the light of your glory, and by finding joy in your glory and your presence. So Lord, bless this time. Bless those that are in the sound of my voice. And I pray that this Christmas season, even if it's full of struggle, would also be full of you and that you would remind us of your goodness. So Lord, have your way. We love you. Amen.